Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Race and Faith Cyphers podcast. I'm Jason Esters. And I'm Richard Smith. Now, in hip-hop culture, a cypher is a group of rappers who take turns rapping, usually to the same music. It's informal, it's free-flowing, and in a similar fashion, these cyphers are free-flowing and ongoing conversations about issues surrounding race, faith, social justice, family, and culture. Obviously, we're not rappers, but we are two Black men who are homeschool fathers, academics, husbands, and men of faith who decided to discuss issues that impact Black families. Thank you again for joining us. Let's enter the cypher. On last Wednesday, because Wednesdays are when we actually tape and record. We record 7.30 on Wednesday mornings. And our conversation was rooted in, you know, we started our conversation talking about the Georgia elections, right? And almost as soon as we stopped recording, last week, it seemed like our world turned on its head and we entered into an entirely new space because Wednesday was the storming of the Capitol. Oh, yes. Data's gonna go down in history. Now that data's now infamous. Yeah, and since that, and since that time, we've watched America wrestle with the why trying to figure out, well, what happened? Why did it happen? And it's been really interesting. I've been talking to a lot of people this week and, I, and I've recognized this kind of schism, right? Because I see a lot of white people who are saying to themselves, oh my gosh, I can't believe that this has happened. This is not my America. Hmm. While at the same time, a lot of black and brown people are looking from side to side and saying to themselves, we told y'all. Mm-hmm. This is exactly the America that we know. This is exactly the America that we've been trying to tell you about. These are exactly the threats that are undermining what you call American principles of justice and liberty. And so we, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about, hey, we want to have a show about this idea of critical race theory, right? And, you know, God has an interesting way of working things out because critical race theory, and we'll talk about exactly what it is. We'll talk a little bit about what some of the um, ideas and the tenets of critical race theory are. We'll talk about some of the criticisms that have been lauded against critical race theory. But an idea like critical race theory is exactly what a lot of people could use right now in order to better understand what happened last week. Because there are lots of people who are sitting here and asking themselves that question. Well, why did it happen? What precipitated it? What led to it? And they don't have the tools to talk about it. Some parents are um, trying to keep their kids away from the television. Some teachers are at a loss as to, well, how do I fit this into a scholarly framework for middle schoolers or for high schoolers? And importantly, and this is something that, uh, you know, I really want to talk to you about. There are also some religious leaders who um, don't really have a theology that addresses this problem in depth. Or they have a theology that actively works against addressing issues of race and racism. And so in the time that we have, we want to try and <laughs> we want to try to uncover as much of it as we possibly can. You know, mm-hmm. trying to bring forward the idea that, you know, the idea of critical uh, race theory is a tool. It's a tool one can use to um, talk about the experience of, of black and brown people in America and other um, marginalized indigenous groups and talk, a, and talk about how those groups are affected by the society in which we live. So I'm excited. I'm excited to go ahead and jump into this thing. Well, I'm with you. 
And I agree with you about the responses. Um, it was like a shock to so many people, white folks, but other folks as well. Mm. And I think it's a shock to people because for too long, we have detached history to what's happening today. Exactly. So we have oftentimes said when it came to issues of race, don't talk about history. Don't talk about slavery. Don't talk about what happened back then. That has nothing to do with today. Mm. It has everything to do with today. And what you would notice is that if people would have recognized history, studied history, that this time period was ripe for what we saw on Wednesday mm -hmm. with all that was happening. It's part of our trend historically. Yep. You know, where white privilege, white superiority, white nationalism, none of it wants to die. It's always fighting back, always fighting back, always fighting back. And we have these huge instances where people, you know, it's, it's very uh, evident and people are saying, oh, why, how can we be like this? What kind of America is this? This is what we saw Wednesday, the definition of the United States of America. What we saw, the reactions, the pushback, white supremacy unwilling to die. Very evident of what we saw this past Wednesday. Absolutely, absolutely. White supremacy unwilling to die. And at the center of a lot of the issues that we have is white, is notion of white supremacy. But of course, that's something that a lot of people are uncomfortable talking about. So here's my question, you know, how does critical race theory help us talk about white supremacy? See, critical race theory, um, unlike what critics have said about it, it's, it's a way, it's a tool to explain what's happening in our society. Mm. And it helps us to understand that white supremacy is embedded in our social institutions. Mm. You know, you don't need a white person to yell out, yeah, I'm a white supremacist in order for white supremacy to continue. Right. Uh, it's already there. It's already been embedded over history. And what I like about critical race theory, because it's a tool to help us explain society, it helps us to see how racism is really embedded in the very fabric of American society. Mm. It's systemic, it's unyielding. And uh, what critical race theory does, it helps us to look beyond, you know, some of the, some of the, or many of the layers that we have placed over racism in a sense in our society by saying that we're a country of freedom and liberty and all that. We can see through that and see that this country and its institutions still work primar primarily for white people. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's exactly spot on. You know, one of the, um, or if we had to define critical race theory, I mean, uh, one simple way of thinking about it is that, you know, critical race theory actually helps us to study the relationship between race and racism and most importantly, power. Right? And by studying those things, you know, critical race theory can also help us to transform the relationship among race and racism and power. Because critical race theory from its very inception, when it was first created, it was created in the, it was created as a response to understanding issues that were happening in the black community. And it wasn't just one person who created it. It was a collection of activists and scholars who worked together to try to figure out, you know, what can we use to talk about these things? You know, what can we use to talk about the reality that even when after the um, 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 Brown versus the Board of Education was passed, we still have inequality in our schools. Well, why is that? How come integration didn't seem to work? How do we answer that question? It's a tool. It's a tool for answering this question. It's also important to point out that when critical race theory, um, you know, its founders, so to speak, you know, um, Derek Bell in particular, and he wrote mm -hmm. this book called Faces at the Bottom of the Well. Um, he, he was a legal scholar. And so he was asking questions around, you know, how, do, how does legal precedent not afford Black people in America the same protections and the same rights that it purports to actually provide? How come it doesn't seem like we're getting the same treatment in the same thing? And from that original idea, 
we get these kinds of questions that we can ask and ways of thinking about these kinds of moments. Yeah. And it's those questions that I think a lot of people who are, who are critics reject. They don't want the question to be asked about these moments. They mm -hmm. don't want to address the real problems. So, you know, when we use critical race theory, what it does, it makes the problem very clear. It helps us to see the institutions as they are. It helps us to see our society as it truly is. Yeah. And that's hard for a lot of people to understand. And I appreciate, you know, what Bell did and others when they, you know, utilized this theory and said, hold on, this is the type of society we live in. We're living in a racist society and we're living in a racist society because obviously because of history, but because it is very much a part of our society. Yeah. The current power structures that we have in place are all based on white supremacy and the marginalization or the minoritization of people of color, mm. regardless of who's in that position of power. And yeah. I think that's one thing people miss. Yeah. Regardless of who's in that position of power, the power structure is already been built, has already been built to push forward white supremacy and yeah. to maintain it. Yeah, that's key. That's key. Because one thing that critical race theory helps us to do is it helps us to take racism out of the box of being just an individual feeling right. and places it in the context of institutional or systemic injustice. And that's really important because a lot of times when we think about institutions, uh, when we think about racism, we have a tendency not to be specific as to where it lives. Now, when you think about the ind individual people, you know, people live in houses. We live in neighborhoods. We live in communities. You know, people are people most when they are in groups. And that's an that's a interesting metaphor to use when we think about racism. You know, racism exists in people, but also racism lives in houses. Like racism lives in communities. Racism lives in the places where people gathers and it stays there. Yeah. You know, it has its sense, it has its operations in those places. So in like things that we always talk about in education, in housing, in um, um, the way our grocery stores are, 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 are meted out across, across the city. It exists in our financial institutions. It exists in our churches, oh, in yeah. our, our religious doctrine. Mm -hmm. So it gives us a tool to actually, you know, explore how racism lives independent of a person in a particular space. Right. And it's difficult for people to see that, especially when the space has been beneficial to you. Ah, mm, mm, it's mm. hard to see that you know, there's a problem with the space mm -hmm. that it's not beneficial for others because I'm so used to it being in a sense natural for me oh I can get along here this is perfect this is right this is the standard yeah so again when people push back against that utilizing critical race theory and opening up for for it to be revealed that's a hard pill to swallow yeah. if you benefited from that system. Mm, mm, yeah, and, and one of the things that I want to point out is that already we've talked about two of the main tenets or two of the main um, claims that critical race theory makes. And I think the two that are probably the most important for us in this particular moment. The first claim is that, uh, real talk, racism is normal. Like, it's ordinary. It is here, it is every day, it is present. And it's present in a lot of different spaces. So the idea that racism is the ordinary modus operandi, it is the way that America operates, that is uh, um, um, an underlying assumption that critical race theory makes, and we see it today, right? The other idea, um, and, and it's the one that, um, that Richard just brought up, is this idea that, you know, a lot of people can't address 
um, racism because they re already they receive an inherent benefit. So a lot of, of, of white people can't see the racism because they can't see their privilege within a space. They can't see that they're actually gaining, you know, because racism advances, and I'm quoting from um, Richard Delgado right now, so because racism advances the interests of whites, both elite and working class, large segments of society have little incentive to eradicate it. And that's exactly what you were just talking about. Yeah, exactly. So to talk to, bring issue with those systems to say there's something wrong with this system is really for many white people and even even others who in a sense being indoctrinated by white supremacy it's like you're saying there's something wrong for america right there's there's something wrong with us there's something wrong with our way of life mm. um so it's taken personally so i think that's why you have a lot of the pushback um, towards schools, institutions, uh, pushback in the government, pushback even in, um, even in religion, even in Christianity, mm -hmm. about talking about critical race theory. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that for a minute. I mean, one of the things that I was really shocked to realize and really preparing for this episode is just how much the language how much not even the language of critical race theory but just the term critical race theory has found its way into um uh, really white fundamentalist pulpits mm -hmm. and like it's become an ideological boogeyman for um for a lot of racial issues now of course you know i'm just thinking that it's 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 you know a lot of these people never even heard the term before before you know our soon-to-be former president spoke the words out of his mouth, mouth, trying to position it as an enemy to um, patriotism. And I want to say right here, um, critical race theory is not anti-American. No. It's not anti-Christian. It's not. It's not anti-American because how can something be anti-American if it's working hard to uncover the things that are wrong in order to make America better, to actually um, make America reach the aspirational goal that it's set in the Constitution itself. Remember what we said, critical race theory started as, um, as a body of questions to legality. You know, how can African Americans have the same legal rights that are purported in the Constitution? You know, what's, 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 What's not happening here? How can we look at this thing differently? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's not anti-Christian because how can an idea that looks to, number one, speak the truth to power, and number two, re-enfranchise those who have been oppressed, mm -hmm. how can an idea that works to do that help those that have been considered to be the least to actually rise. How can an idea like that be anti-Christian, anti-Christ? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely a false equivalency. Mm. I mean, to think about, you know, critical race theory being used as a tool to help us understand the society we live in. There's nothing unbiblical about that. And just to be, and this might, being aside, but if you think about the fact that there's conservatives out there that's pulling that because this is what their president said, they're pulling that and trying to pit it against scripture, is really a slippery slope. Because then it raises questions, well, why don't you just say that about all theories? There's a number of theories that's being used by the church. There's church, there's growth theories that are used in order to help your church grow there's other theories that are being used in order to help to explain the world we look at economic theories and some economic theories are promoted by the church even though it's not in scripture and those same people would promote those economic theories so it's in some ways it should be obvious to a lot of people that using critical race theory the way that's being used amongst um mainly white evangelical circles but also in um people some people of color 
who have bought into this this belief, this ideology, or this really false equivalency, that it is to the place where people are being scared off mm. because how it's been presented as being antithetical to scripture. Mm. Mm. It's uh, Jamar Tisby. Um, he wrote The Color of Compromise. Yeah. Um, he said something. He said this. I'm going to make sure I have it clear and read it for you. He basically said critical race theory is the theological ecclesiastical, sorry, ecclesiastical equivalent of the red scale. Slap mm. anyone with the label critical race theory and they automatically become enemies of the church. Mm. And that's so true. It's become dog whistle theology. Mm. Now, instead of saying, we don't want to talk about racism, instead of telling black folks to shut up about what they have, what, what they are saying or what they've yeah. been focused on, it's easier to now just say, oh, critical race theory is, you know, we can't explain society with, or we can't address societal problems with critical race theory. We need scripture. Mm. You know, we only need scripture. Don't get me wrong. Scripture is the answer. Mm. But critical race theory is something that explains what's going on so that we can use the scripture right. to address the problems that is in society. Critical race theory was never made, never formed in order to be pitted against scripture. Yeah, yeah, man, that's just right on. That's just right on. And you know, you're, you're, um, you placing that within the logical fallacy of that false equivalency is so powerful because that's not only is that exactly where it is, it works on multiple levels. Like that, um, and the other false equivalency in what you said is that a lot of times conservatives will use this false equivalency of saying, oh, critical race theory is the same as Marxism. Right. <laughs> Which creates this really ridiculous dynamic because number one, some critics of critical race theory will act it will treat critical race theory as if it is just another offshoot of marxism because critical race theory addresses issues of class mm -hmm. why is it that for conservatives anytime somebody brings up an issue of class anytime somebody brings up an issue of the rich versus the poor Anybody, anytime somebody brings up issues of why people are in poverty that aren't tied to their own individual determinism, why is it that they always have to bring up, oh, this is all about Marxism? Yeah. Because again, that's another false equivalency. This idea that the only time that we can, any, the only people who are concerned with class is Marxists. Mm -hmm. Which is a problem for the church to be bringing up. Because if anything, the church should be more concerned with the poor. Yes. Right? Yeah. It also, you know, and then you start unpeeling the onion, the layers get even deeper. Primarily because when you set up Marxism as the devil, which is, you know, and think about Marxism is a social and economic philosophy. It's not a religion. Right. Right? But if you set up Marxism as the devil, does that mean you're setting up capitalism as your God? Mm. That's it. That's it. Mm. Because the Bible doesn't talk about capitalism. And somebody might say, a critic might say, well, no, wait a minute. We see, you know, capitalistic principles in the Bible. Maybe you do. Someone could also say, you know, I see socialistic principles also in operation in the Bible. No. Yeah. So what, what exactly, what exactly are you going to throw out? I, I would suggest that when it comes to using the Bible as interpretation, you know, it's our job, it's our job to see what Christ said about how people treat people. Right. And how God treats us and we're, how we're supposed to reconnect to our God. Mm. That's the, that's the crutch. And to those who say, well, we can't use critical race theory because they don't talk about that in the Bible. Again, you already addressed it. You know, there are lots of things that aren't talked about in the Bible, mm -hmm. but we use biblical principles in order to deal with those issues that the Bible doesn't exactly cover. You know, we, the fact that 
race in the way we think about it isn't in the Bible at all hasn't stopped us from having to deal with it. Right. Just because the word racism isn't in the Bible doesn't mean that God's experience with man hasn't given us some idea of how we should treat people the right way. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that kind of ties into what, um, what many would call the third principle or the third claim, the third tenet of critical race theory, which is, you know, the, our idea of race is socially constructed, right? It's not fixed. It relies on whatever we consider to be biological characteristics, but those characteristics can change. They can be malleable. Yeah. You know, and that's an important lesson for people to learn. The way we think about race and the way everybody else thinks about it in the world. That's true. That's true. And it's unfortunate because people, I think we've been so used to our racial construct that we assume that's how it's been forever. Yeah. Um, and then we also assume, for some folks, they assume what is spoken of in the Bible is addressing our current racial construct and yeah. is now, and what I mean by that is you don't see the construction of racism or race that that we know of today specifically in the Bible. Like it doesn't talk about these different racial groups. However, people have used the Bible to justify, and you know this, and, and many listening probably know use the Bible to justify historically why we are black, why we, you know, why are there white people, and use that in order to maintain the racial hierarchy. Right. It's interesting, and I'm glad you went to the third tenet. Race is socially constructed. To just put it at the basic, um, just a basic definition of that, or a view of that, is that we, as a society, have created race, and we maintain it throughout the years with our actions and our interactions, such as you know, the school, uh, was it Southern Baptist College presidents coming out and making a statement against um, critical race theory as if they're doing some profound Christian thing. Yeah. Shows how influential the construction is, how influential race is. Mm-hmm. That with all that's going on in our society, with all the problems that are taking place and all the issues we are facing right now, that these people said we need to come together and focus on race, critical yeah. race theory, and try to rid it and get rid of it from even being spoken of in our schools. Mm. 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 And that's a perfect example of an institution maintaining white supremacy. I mean, there was a time when we were going to start our podcast just with that particular instance, you know, yeah. the Southern Baptist Convention putting out. Um, a memo, a memorandum, basically condemning um, critical race theory, which has actually caused many um, um, churches that have um, multicultural um, um, parishioners and that are um, led by Black pastors that have Black congregations to actually leave the Southern Baptist Convention because of their support of um, white supremacy and racism. And this is exactly what scholars and activists who um, utilize critical race theory talk about, you know, this idea that regardless of the institution, white supremacy wants to maintain itself and maintains its privilege and doesn't, and looks not to be self-critical. Exactly. Looks to avoid self-examination. Again, this is especially egregious for Christians to avoid self-examination. If you, if you are part of a Christian denomination that practices communion, one aspect of communion that we oftentimes um, don't um, um, consider as heavily is that when we get to that table, that's an opportunity for us to think about, you know, just where we are, where we are in our relationships with God and Lord, thank you, our relationship with other people. Mm-hmm. I come to that table. I think the old, old folk gets to say, "I'm not gonna take, I'm not gonna take communion today because there's some conversations I need to have." Yes. 
I can remember my, my great grandparents saying, you might not want to take, talking to my um, great uncle saying, you might not want to take communion today. You got some stuff you need to take care of. And that was all embedded in the idea that, you know, you don't come to the Lord and partake of his, of his body and his flesh if you know you got some issues with people that you need to get off the table, self-examination. And I always thought about that as just this, 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 powerful, this powerful symbol of us not thinking ourselves so high and mighty as to have all the answers. Yeah. You know, when you think, when you're in a position uh, of dominance, a privileged position. The problem is you think you're right. <laughs> you think your position is right. Um, you think your view of the world is right. And to humble yourself and to say, hold on, I need to do some self-examination, like going to the community table, you know, is difficult when you feel that everything that is whiteness is right. <laughs> you know all the institutions are right. Mm -hmm. There's no such thing as racism. That's, it's difficult, it seems like, for people to, self, to do that self-examination, to mm -hmm. be broken by what's going on in the world. And it's, it's just interesting, because you mentioned this earlier, that when you look at the Bible, it talks a lot about serving the poor, helping the poor, loving your neighbor. Jesus spoke of these things, mm -hmm. but a lot of the things that Jesus spoke about in addressing societal ills are the same things that we see those who, many people who are white conservatives and, and those who agree with their positions is the same thing we see them criticizing mm -hmm. and see them saying, well, no, that's, that's Marxist, that's socialist. You know, they, they put names in, um, I'll just highlight this. I, we won't go too far down this path. But this putting names on things to discount it yeah. is a method that's been with, um, with white supremacy throughout history, but also within the church, within yeah. white evangelical circles. Mm -hmm. You know, slavery, those who were abolitionists, they were called communists. You know, they were called atheists. If you have, if you believe in abolition, you're an atheist mm. because you're going against the order of God. Scripture, they, mm. again, you see the same thing with segregation. People saying, oh, you're going against the order of God if you're focused on integration. You hear it with the names that are called our leaders, those who led freedom movements that were um, civil rights and other movements that throughout history, they were always called something that was um, going against or positioned against the way of Christ. Right. You see that over and over again. So today is critical race theory. Yeah. So if I can say critical race theory, that becomes the, the, uh, the theological boogeyman yeah. to yeah. push people away. Yeah. All of this has a part in the social construction and maintenance of race and racism in our society. Mm, mm. And the naming, that false naming of people and ideas in order to position them as evil or somehow outside of the, um, um, of the purview of, of, of God, you know, that's, that's again, not to, uh, not to beg the, the, the um, not to beg the point, but that's also a logical fallacy, mm -hmm. right? In many ways, it's structured the same. It's, it's a classic straw man argument, you know? Yeah. It tries to take somebody's ideas and put them in an uncharacteristically bad light. And we see it over and over and over again. We see it over and over again. So here's my question. So now that we have some ideas about what critical race theory is and we see some places where they operate, you know, how can people use critical race theory? Um, if you're not a scholar, um, what can you do? You know, you're, you are in a classroom and you have people to teach or maybe you have homeschool 
and you're thinking, okay, well, I'm understanding the conversation, but you know, how would I utilize this in my in my uh, homeschool? Or even if you're um, um, a pastor or a Sunday school teacher, um, where do you go from here? Mm -hmm. That's good. So one, I would say to learn what critical race theory is. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad we've ha we're having this talk now because right now, as people are listening, they're learning what critical th race theory is. Mm -hmm. um, and when you learn what it is, then you'll find out what it isn't. Yeah. And, and you'll be able to see that a lot of the arguments that are out there against it are really false arguments. Yeah. Uh, are really problematic. So learning the theory, I would, you know, sit my children down, we would learn what the theory is, read it. Yeah. And then look at examples of it, try to, you know, help them to understand what it does it mean that race is, uh, race is constructed, mm. you know, racism. What does it mean that racism is embedded um, in the very fabric of American society? What does it mean that the current power structures are based on white supremacy and the marginalization and minoritization of people of color? Mm. You know, how does this occur? Mm. Give some examples. So really getting a, a deeper understanding of critical race theory, um, because most people don't have that deep understanding, right. you know, because they've been told, especially if you're in these Christian circles, they've been told, oh, it's just Marxism. Mm. And, you know, if you say Marxism, most people don't know what that means. So they automatically think about the one statement that Marx said, and, you know, we could have a, another session where we go through um, some, some of them, what, Mark said uh, as well. Actually but, said. Actually said, yeah. So why they, he said it. Yep, exactly. The opiate of the masses. So always they focus on that. Mm. Mark said the opi opiate of the masses. He was a atheist and all this. And I'm not, I'm not trying to justify or push up Marx, but there's, there's more to it. <laughs> it's so much more complex. And he really was making a profound statement. Yeah, and oh, since you and since you brought it up, you know, he says religion is the opioid of the masses. Exactly. Right? And the but the context of that is that there was no division between the state and the church. Right. So I want you all to think about that for a moment. Yes, he did say it. It is exactly true that he said that. But the context was that there was no separation between the church and the state and that the church was complicit in oppressing the people. Yeah. But again, that might be a topic for another show. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, to be upfront, it's very similar to some of the things we see today, right? I won't dive too far in this, but yeah. just to think of how, you know, oppression still occur and the church has become complicit by trying to teach people that this oppression is okay without using the word oppression, right? Without mm -hmm. making it blatant mm -hmm. um, to, to try to distract from what's actually going on. So going back to what we were talking about with how we we're teaching this and kind of the next steps, you know, I would go through, help them to learn it. Mm -hmm. And then I would take them a step further to investigate the statements against it. Mm. what's really happening here yeah what's really what's really happening here yeah what's really happening what what are they really doing what are they really saying beyond the the, the statement that's put out so i'll give you an example mm -hmm. so we talked about what happened with the southern baptist uh convention the the different presidents coming out and making statements the one statement from um the lead person and then uh, all the different presidents making their own statements if you read through those statements it's interesting how they say the same thing. There's, there's one statement they keep saying over and over in, in these statements. And it's interesting because I almost missed it. But then as I kept reading it over, I was like, oh my goodness, there's, they're, they're really doing something here. Mm. So they would start out by saying, you know, we, we detest racism, you know, we're against racism before they say they're against critical race theory. Mm. We're against racism, but then they put this line in, in all of its forms. Mm. In all of its mm. forms, mm. or in any form. Mm. So- I Pivot, I see yeah. that There's a shift there, right? Right. They're trying to make it like racism goes anyway. Yeah. And everybody's affected by couldn't be affected by racism 
you know, it, and black people can be so racist to whites and you know, their, all that. It's their all lives matter statement. Exactly. All lives matter exactly. Exactly. So in any form, so it it negates, it takes away from what's really happening mm -hmm. and try to say, oh, all of us, <laughs> all it, of us are impacted. Anytime somebody ostracates that the particular mm -hmm. offense, what you do is you end up maintaining the power of those that oppress. Mm -hmm. Just yeah. as in this, um, this past year, when we, when the spotlight was shown on the fact that in America, black lives aren't mattering as much. You take the spotlight off the danger and the threat to black lives every time somebody says all lives matter. Mm -hmm. And again, listen, sure they do, but all lives aren't being murdered in their beds. All lives aren't being shot for playing with toys. All lives aren't being killed for being late legal gun owners. All lives aren't being choked out in their necks. All lives don't have to talk to their eight-year-olds about why it seems like cops don't like them. Mm -hmm. All lives don't have to wonder if they're gonna name their child what they want because they're afraid of the racism that that child might face because of their name. Those are issues of pain and trauma and injustice and racism, but all lives aren't experiencing that. Mm -mm. So wow. when you say all lives, or when you say, as you just, as you just mentioned, in all of its forms, how are you addressing the meat of the issue? That's powerful, man. Yeah. And we caught a good glimpse of how this worked. Mm. with the insurrection that occurred last week. Mm -hmm. Because we saw a group of people, wild, came there to fight, to tear up stuff. That was their intention. Mm -hmm. Some in, you know, had battle gear and had, um, some had guns on them. Some had other things, other weapons on them. Mm -hmm. They came ready to fight. They came ready to tear some stuff uh, now, granted, there might have been a few people that were just there to be a part of a protest, but for the mm -hmm. most part, people came there to tear things up. Mm -hmm. And they were not met with much force. No, they weren't. They walked, in, <laughs> they walked into the place. They walked exactly. into the place armed. They put, bomb, mm -hmm. they put pipe bombs on the side of the Capitol, detonated them. They destroyed government power. They stopped the federal government from actually operating, and they walked They walked out. out with the doors held open for them. They walked By out. Law enforcement. <laughs> they walked out. They got a chance to walk out mm -hmm. and put a W in the column for, you know, racist militias worldwide, nationwide, I'd say. And this summer, we're in the streets trying to figure out, well, does milk work for all these tear gas can canisters? Because I don't know. It doesn't seem like milk is working for me. Peacefully organized protest people walking down the street and they're getting blindsided. Black, brown, white people alike. But because they're aligned against the power structures of racism, their legal protest was met with extreme violence. Yes. Yes. The kind of violence that people didn't, that, that didn't show up at all. My daughter still talks about the National Guard standing as we walked down in Philly to go um, march at the art, art Museum. She still talks about that. Her first time seeing a tank up close at a peaceful protest. Where were the tanks last week? Mm -hmm. And critical race theory helps us to ask why. And there's a fourth, there's a fourth tenet that's really important. Um, and I think this is like the, f the, the final big tent principle. And it really speaks to just the importance of the stories of the oppressed, the story of people of color. 
And critics sometimes look at this idea and say that, oh, well, critical race theory is making storytelling the, um, um, the most important kind of intellectual inquiry. And so they're rejecting, um, um, they're rejecting logical argument and they're rejecting scientific inquiry in favor of, in favor of storytelling. That's false. Mm -hmm. That's false. Let's look at it a different way. Remember, critical race theory comes out of the school of legal thought and legal practice. And we know that when you go into a courtroom, they'll call up witnesses. And witnesses will give testimony as to what happened. That testimony is used to make decisions as to where, where um, people are guilty and where people are innocent. And it's that testimony on which oftentimes the um, penalty will be meted, right? The importance of the testimony. The reality is in America is that the testimonies of black and brown people have been largely ignored in terms of the veracity, in terms of the trustworthiness of the experiences that they've lived. And so what critical race theory says is, well, hold up. The testimonies, the experiences, the spoken lives of people who are living underneath these oppressions are just as valid as anyone else's. In fact, because they've experienced something different, we need to focus on those voices more because they've actually experienced the racism. And so their lived experiences can give us a window into how to possibly understand this thing better and ask more critical questions and possibly get solutions. If storytelling, if the idea of storytelling bothers you, and of course, you know, coming out of African traditions, coming out of African-American traditions, storytelling is really important. There's a history here. Mm -hmm. So I don't wanna, I don't wanna negate that, a very strong history. One could argue that oral history is more important than written history in a lot of ways. And we can talk about that later. But just in a legal framework, if we understand the, how important testimony is, then we can understand how people being validated and telling their stories around these issues of racism becomes wildly important because they're, they've been ignored. Keep in mind that in the American legal system, my parents grew up in a time where if a black man went to court, his word meant nothing. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that aspect of storytelling is really important. Again, don't think testimony, think evidence. It's spoken evidence, that's what it is. Don't necessarily think storytelling, think testimony, Christians. How important is our testimony in our relationship with Christ and with people? It's really through testimony that we deliver our witness. Mm -hmm. yeah. So like you were saying, Richard, like it's, it's as we're learning what critical race theory is, and more importantly, I love the questions that you, that you listed out, because I really think for critical race theory is allows people to ask, to be more, more structured critical thinkers about issues of racism. If we ask those right questions, I think that's a really pl important place to start. But then also that other piece that you said, we need to really ask what really happened. All right. And that's where, those, that's where those stories come into play. That's where those testimonies come into play. Mm -hmm. It does. And here's the thing. Many people who have been indoctrinated or be believe that critical race theory is a problem and it's against scripture, um, they really don't have a problem with stories. Mm or testimonies as long as their stories and their testimonies. The problem is that when it becomes those who've been oppressed by the systems that have maintained white supremacy, when those people start talking about their stories and giving their testimony, 
So right. That's when it becomes a problem. Mm. And many people who have been, again, I say indoctrinated by this this belief that critical race theory is a problem. Many people who have been indoctrinated by that also are really saying that your story does not matter, is not valid, mm. is not a good witness of mm. what I believe life is or how things are. And that does take, uh, for someone who wants to make a shift, that will take some um, really reevaluating how we consider stories, how we hear testimonies, whose testimony do we listen to, and how we evaluate them. Yeah. So it's really just saying, listen, I need to take time to learn the stories of others, to really know what is happening, what people are going through. In Baltimore City, where I live, Many people may f- still be familiar with what happened with Freddie Gray. Mm-hmm. You know, Freddie Gray just standing out there. He gets snatched up by police and thrown into the back of a police van, pretty much, not buckled in or anything. Due to his injuries that occurred in there, mm-hmm. he ends up dying. Mm-hmm. And while there was all these questions, well, how did he die? What happened? a number of people started coming out and saying Baltimore city police officers have, a, uh, have been known mm-hmm. to do what they call rough rides where they intentionally don't buckle in a person and they drive and they zigzag in order to bounce them around and hurt them and, and brutalize them in a sense in the back of the van, um, in a sense for sport. That's been happening. People have been talking about these rough rides, mm-hmm. but no one wanted to listen to that, mm-hmm. what was happening. Now that someone died, all of a sudden, people want to start listening, but still, still, mm-hmm. in our court system, because the institutions mm-hmm. are supportive of white supremacy, influenced by white supremacy, in our court system, they still were not found held accountable mm-hmm. for what happened to that young man. Mm-hmm. So these stories, we have to listen to them. Mm. We have to try to understand them. We have to look at ourselves. We have to think through them as if we were in their shoes. Think about Maude Aubrey yeah. and his jog. Mm. And all of a sudden, these guys, two pickup trucks coming after him. They have their weapons drawn. They stop, get out, have their weapons drawn. Think about how his heart was beating. Mm. You know, Michael Eric Dyson refers to this in his new new book, A Long Time Coming. Mm-hmm. Think about how, how his heart was beating, how his, his breath was racing, what he thought in that moment, how he was just trying to survive, mm-hmm. get around that. Really put yourself in that person's shoes. Mm-hmm. And then you will fully understand why there's people out there that are saying Black Lives Matter. You'll fully understand why people are still taking the knee. Mm-hmm. You'll fully understand why people are utilizing critical race theory in order to fully understand what's going on in society. And you will also recognize why black pastors are, are talking about racism, are still saying we need to deal with this and what we need to do. And some of which are on the front lines of trying to change what's going on in our society. Then we'll get a better understanding, but it only happens when we are willing to listen to the stories. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. it's powerful man yeah so critical race theory is just to make clear critical race theory is a tool for evaluating the society we live in it helps us to explain what is happening critical race theory was never positioned created to be the answer for societal ills Mm. we all know that jesus is the answer we all know that we can look to the Bible to provide the answers for what we need. But critical race theory can help us to see what needs to be done, to see what needs to be addressed, to understand more about how we have been even um, influenced by the type of society we live in, even in our minds and our thinking um, about different groups of people. It allows us to have a better understanding of the world we live in. And as Christians, I think we need to understand the world we live in if we're going to be better witnesses of Jesus Christ to this world that we live in. 
Absolutely. And I'll stop preaching. Yeah, man. Wow. Pastor, Pastor, what people say, pass the plate. Okay. <laughs> oh, we don't need to have to put like a little cash app button now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. This is good, man. Yeah, this is this is really good. And somebody can actually, um, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful and I'm thankful that somebody can actually use this to kind of rethink. And um, eventually, I'd like to have some time, some space where we can. Uh, um, bring others into this conversation and really kind of hash this thing out because one thing about critical race theory is it's the kind of idea that requires work. It's not just an intellectual, it's not just an intellectual exercise. You know, there's a reason why it was scholars and activists who worked together to put this thing together because um, critical race theory or CRT, many people might call it, is designed in order for people to try to work to make the work world better. And ultimately, that's what we want to do. That's what we're um, that's part of our um, um, calling as educators. That's part of what we want to do for the fabric of society is do whatever we can in order to improve the lives of others. And I think that's really important. You know, um, Brother Richard, you dropped some gems today, man. You hey, dropped you as well. And some of those resources that, um, that you mentioned, um, we're going to put those in the, the show notes, especially some of the questions mm. that one could ask. You know, even if you don't say the words critical race theory to your seven-year-old, you can ask questions to help them become critical thinkers about the world that they live in, especially around issues of race and racism and power. And that's what we want to really want to encourage. There are some resources online that um, we want to make sure that we provide for you in the, um, in the show notes as well. Mm -hmm. um, the site teachingtolerance.org actually has some really good um, uh, really good resources for teaching ideas rooted in critical race theory to your elementary student, school students or to um, middle school students. And there are other resources out there. We'll make sure we put them in the show notes of the liner notes. Mm, so I think this is just a great conversation that we have, man. Definitely. And, you know, we can always keep it going. Mm. But it's something that I think we need to address. We needed to address today. Um, and we're also in, after we pray, I know you'll share what we're going to talk about next week because we're going to, in a sense, continue it, yeah. continue the conversation, but look at it from a different, another perspective, yeah. something else that had been addressed, um, currently in these debates about race and racism in the U S no doubt, no doubt. Well, you know, I think you know me always i always want to lift up uh the church mm. you know because there's you know there's a difference between the true church and you know places that call themselves churches yeah. but yeah you know the world doesn't see that <laughs> they they see that the, whoever the dominant person people organization christian organization that's out there they see that as representing at least in, at least especially in this country as representing the voice mm. of Christianity. So I always want to just lift up the church and that we would just be more focused on Jesus and how he lived and that our hearts would be broken by those things that broke his heart, mm. that we would be willing to touch the untouchable. Um, we would be willing to speak to those that others wouldn't speak to, you know, um, that we would see people, all people, as children of God, you know, it's created by the same God mm. um, with the same, the same potential in a sense mm. to live out God's will for their lives. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, so you want to close out? Yes, sir. All right. Yes, sir. Let's look to the Lord. Father God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for waking us up this morning and giving us the activity of our limbs and giving us a voice, giving us a platform that we can speak about the real issues of this day yes. and think about ways that they ultimately tie back to what you would have for us to do in our lives. Father, I thank you for this conversation around critical race theory. I thank you that you've given us ways and you've given us tools to expose 
the penalties and the consequences of sin in this world to really delve into you know some of the intricacies of the way our institutions are structured and to possibly look for solutions on how to deal with them lord god i ask that you'd allow us to use these tools to better your people better your kingdom yes. father god i ask that you would help us to be discerning in our dealings with people and our dealings with ideas Thank help you. us to be able to separate ideas that look to um, defame and destroy mm -hmm. and to keep us separate from you and the work that you've put for us on earth and ideas that can help us to live to more than survive but to live abundantly yes and ideas that can help to reconcile your people to this world lord god right now i just want to pray for our country right now as we're in the throes of deciding what kind of country that we're going to be i ask lord that you will continue to empower the people who are looking to justice and pushing for justice i ask lord that you would help to elevate the voices of um, the oppressed father god and elevate the voices of those who haven't been heard so that they can um, receive justice, Father God. Lord God, I ask that you would allow the church to be the church. Yes. The church that you've called, the church that has a witness of your goodness and your mercy, the church that looks to um, make sure that the hungry are fed, mm -hmm. that the poor aren't disenfranchised, that the strangers aren't turned away, that the prisoners are visited no matter what they've done yes the church that sees us all as fallen and all in need of a savior a church that's united under the banner of humanity yes father god i ask that you would separate the church in america from the evil idea of white supremacy mm. i ask that you would allow our brothers and sisters in christ who may have been trading in this idea of white supremacy and the actions of white supremacy. I ask, Lord, that you would compel them to repent. Yes. Turn back to you, Father, because we know that healing power comes from you and that as huge as this breach is, that you, Father God, can fill it and make it whole again. Thank you, Lord. Father God, I ask that you would allow us to be more focused on the life and work of Christ. Mm -hmm. Lord, I ask that we can focus on just who Jesus was and, and, and what he did, Father. Sometimes I feel yes. like just the name Christian has been so politicized. Yes. But if we just become like Christ, like the person you put on earth to save the world, we'd be much better off, Father God. Yeah. Help us not to focus on our frayed doctrines and our frayed theology, but just focus on you. And Lord, through that, let us focus on the things that break your heart yes. so that maybe we can bring things back to where they need to be. Father God, I want to say a, a special prayer for Brother Richard, Father, as he enters into conversations on his campus around yes. issues of, of, of race and racism and anti-colonialism and anti-imperialism. Father God, I ask that you would strengthen him and strengthen all of the people who are on campuses or in workplaces who have to shoulder the bur burdens of these conversations, who have to take on the, both the um, uh, opinions and the issues of others as they wrestle with, um, um, they wrestle with these issues, Father God. Yeah. Or anybody who has to shepherd a conversation around race, I ask that you would strengthen their hands. Yes, Lord. You would strengthen their minds. And that after that conversation, as that emotional toll starts to um, um, make their energy wane, I just ask God that you would just give them fresh anointing, that you give them that fresh energy, that you would give them that burst, and that you would restore them. Yes. And I ask, Lord, that you would bring more into the conversation that look to bring life into death. Yes. Because racism and white supremacy is bringing death to our land and to its people. Mm -hmm. Lord God, I thank you for, our, for this moment, and I thank you for hearing our prayer. You said that we're two or more gathered in your name that you hear us. So I yes. thank you right now for hearing, and I thank you 
in advance for what you're going to do. Even if it gets worse before it gets better, mm. we know that it will ultimately get better. We thank you for the tools and the resources to help um, move us along. Yes. Lord. Things we ask and we thank you for your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hey, thank you for that prayer. No, no problem. Bro. So you want to tell the people what's in store for next week? All right. So next week, we're continuing this conversation about ideas that really fight racism that racists don't like. So <laughs> we're going to delve into another aspect of, of um, critical race theory that's really gained a life of its own. And it, it, in some ways, um, other communities have found the idea even more um, more useful because it it wrestles with this notion of identity. Some of us might hear the term identity or identity politics thrown around a lot, but we're going to talk about this term called intersectionality. And intersectionality is also a useful tool for thinking about um, the role of identity in the way we see, see the world and how the world sees us. So I'm excited to kind of delve into that conversation next week. Yeah, me too. Looking forward to it. Thank you.